0: This week in 2001, Shrek hit theaters for the first time. To this day, it's still a fantastic movie. It looks great, still holds up as a great family film, but there's one part of it that I think deserves a little more love, and that's its soundtrack. Now when people think of Shrek, the first song that comes to their heads is All Star from Smash Mouth. But that song was in four other movies before finally finding that one perfect place right at the start of Shrek. Now, the right movie can make a song last forever, and sometimes, the music can even outlast the movie that made it happen. Take Against All Odds by Phil Collins, for example. One of the biggest songs of 1984, but it was on a soundtrack to a movie that nobody talks about. But I also think that All-Star outshined the rest of an amazing soundtrack for Shrek. I revisited the songs that were heard throughout the movie, and then I started looking up soundtracks for other movies, too. And There are so many great soundtracks out there, so I think it's time that we look back at some and really try and figure out what makes these soundtracks so great. So this week, for the first of many times, we're going to sit down and look at three different movie soundtracks. This is the Tim Gavin Show. Now, if I'm really going to get into depth about what makes Shrek and its soundtrack so great, I think it's time that we had a conversation with one of my friends who is a real Shrek super fan, Sarah Nick from Energy 106 over in Winnipeg. You're obviously a huge fan of Shrek. What is it about not only the movie, but also the soundtrack that really resonates with you?
1: Um, okay. So, well, let's talk about the movie first. So yeah. first off, the movie is like a classic. You cannot go wrong. The cast is awesome. Um, I'm a huge Disney fan in general, so I like that it combines all the different fairy tales into one, like, jam-packed movie. And it's super funny on top of that. Like, you have Mike Myers, who's hilarious. Uh, Donkey is super funny, obviously. So the casting, I think, went really well. I know it wasn't originally supposed to be Mike Myers taking the lead on that, but um, I think it kind of worked out in his advantage because it's like a cult classic now. Everyone's seen Shrek. If you haven't seen Shrek, you're living under a rock, clearly.
0: Or in a swamp.
1: Or in a swamp. Amen to that, brother. So that's a that's my whole stance on Shrek. I like it. I mean, it kind of went off the rocks when they were going into like the third and the fourth and then Shrek the halls, but that's fine. Whatever. The first one is the best one.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? I'd even go so far as saying the second one is also just as good.
1: You know what? The second one is really good. And I think, to be honest, I've seen the second one more than the first one because I owned it on DVD when I was younger. I would watch it on repeat constantly.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. I I think we all had that one movie that was just like always on repeat.
1: Yeah. And you know what? Like for me, Shrek was it because it came out when I was younger too. Like I was in like grade one when it came out. So that was just a movie that was great for my whole family. My dad loved it. Everyone loved it. So it was something that I think is a lot to do with my childhood. And that I watch once a month still. That is something that is like a proud moment of mine is Shrek. I named my dog Shrek. Like,
0: <laughs> That's amazing too. By the way, I've seen, I've seen your dog on Instagram. It's so cute.
1: Thank you. Yeah, actually, I just adopted him um, just over a month ago, like when the pandemic started. And uh we were in the car and originally his name was Harvey but he wasn't responding to that name. So we were in the car, we were driving back, unnamed dog, we didn't really know what to call him at the time and then I looked at him I was like I want to call him Shrek and then his ears like perked up and if you've seen Shrek my dog, he has like ogre long ears. So then that was just his name after that.
0: <laughs> Going into the soundtrack again with with All Star. Somehow It's become just as much a meme as Shrek has.
1: Oh, my goodness. Like, that is the best intro song in movie history. Like, it is absolutely wonderful. And I think that everyone, when they think of Smash Mouth, they think automatically of Shrek, right? Because it's such an iconic scene. Everything from the beginning to the end. um, It's just awesome. It goes hand in hand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the timing of it, I think, is really what sets it apart from the other soundtracks, because I think All-Star was in a bunch of other movies before Shrek, but somehow, just by putting it in the right place, in the right time, in the right movie, it just sets it apart and just makes it iconic that way, too.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I think the whole soundtrack in general, like, they have, I'm a believer on them, Um, they have so many different ones, and it's just, like, they're all, like, upbeat songs, but, like, easily... Oh, my goodness. Like, the intro of the first track is the best. It is so good. It's just, I don't know, it's iconic, and I think everyone just feels happy when they see it.
0: (laughs) Definitely. And another nice thing about that soundtrack is, like, even though it does kind of lean on a couple of pop songs, I think there's just enough variety, and there's something for everyone, whether it be a fan of pop music, whether it be a fan of the classics, even, like, people who are, like, just super into indie and alt rock. There's even some stuff for them there, too.
1: Yeah, you know, they have, like, Joan Jet on there as well, which is pretty cool. And the second one, too, it has, like, a whole karaoke thing at the end, right, that they do. And they perform, like, I'm Too Sexy, like, all these songs that maybe at the time, I don't know, I was in, like, grade one, whatever, I'd be like, I have no idea what this song is. So it kind of opened up my eyes to different artists as well. So I think a lot of Disney movies that way or Pixar movies that way can help the young generation understand different formats of music. Like Trolls just dropped their big world tour one. And I always, I'm a huge believer in like kid movies because I think they're really creative and the older you get, the more you pick up on different things. But they just dropped this Trolls movie and it's got EDM, it's got emo, it's got really every kind of genre of music. And I was actually talking to my boss earlier today and he's like, my kids who are whatever in like grade one, had no idea that these other formats of music existed or these other genres existed. And now they finally know, Oh my goodness, queen or this or that, that you might not hear on the radio as much anymore.
0: Yeah. And another thing I like about that, it turns this whole music snobbery on its head. And Hmm. of course back in college, I was guilty of this myself, but (laughs) the whole, I love that the whole message of trolls too is just like, open your mind to other music for crying out loud.
1: Yes and that's like what I really do like about like kids movies in general is that they do have a bunch of different like they obviously have their originals or whatever which is cute and fun good for the kids but then they also throw in their own twist or they even say like um, they refer to like old artists or something like that and they almost make a joke about it and as a kid you don't pick up on that but then when you're older you're like oh now I get what they're saying they were making fun of how dumb I was when I was a kid (laughs) like it's great.
0: It is it is (laughs) And, of course, having those classics in there, too, bringing in the adults, that's another beautiful thing about soundtracks. Like, you just find something for everyone. And, of course, not only Shrek doing that, but also, I think most notably, the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, too, just introducing a whole new generation, giving more people some common ground.
1: Oh, my goodness, Kay. So, I actually just did the Marvel trilogy or whatever this year. Never watched a Marvel movie and Guardians was hands down my favorite, and it was because of the soundtrack, the first one in particular. Um, The second one was good, but like the first one, I was just like, this is so, so cool. Like I loved everything about it, and I mean like Chris Pratt, hello.
0: Absolutely, like anything that he is a part of, I will instantly watch just because he's in it.
1: I know, right? He's so great. In the
0: past, I have sometimes heard people say that Shrek is an example of a movie that leans a little bit too hard on pop music, but you know what, I disagree. I think it leans on it just enough to make things interesting, but if you look through the track list, there is just enough deep cuts that makes things really unique and really fun to deep dive into. And some of the soundtrack's quieter, lesser-known songs I think are also some of the best, including Eel's performing My Beloved Monster, It Is You I've Loved by Dana Glover, And I'm On My Way by The Proclaimers. And if you haven't heard anything besides 500 Miles, it is a great place to start in The Proclaimers Back Catalog. Such a great song. And there are a couple of differences between songs used on the film compared to songs on the soundtrack. All the songs on the soundtrack have appeared in the movie, just a couple of different versions, uh, including Bad Reputation, the version on the movie, of course performed by Joan Jett, but the soundtrack version performed by a cover band called Halfcocked. And later on in the soundtrack, when you get to Hallelujah, the version in the film done by The Velvet Underground's John Cale, but on the soundtrack performed by Rufus Wainwright. The reason for those changes in the soundtrack are because, well, of course, DreamWorks had a record label at the time, and naturally they wanted to promote their own artists. So, of course, they're going to use versions done by people on their own roster, save a few bucks trying to put this soundtrack together as well as promote their own artists. Now, there is one song off of this soundtrack that I found interesting just because of the history behind it. It's a song called Like Wow!, performed by Leslie Carter. And if you find that name familiar, it's because Leslie Carter is the late sister of Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys. At the time, she was attempting to get a singing career for herself going, and she got signed to DreamWorks Records. In order to test to see how popular she would be compared to her brothers Nick and Aaron, they included this song on the Shrek soundtrack, released it as a single just to see if it would do anything. And it didn't and her album ended up getting shelved permanently. And every once in a while, a promo copy of the album meant for showing off to radio stations will make its way onto the used market. But I've heard it, and... let's just say you have to be a really hardcore fan of the Carter family to really make the most of it. And this soundtrack is really special to me because it is one of the first CDs that I ever owned. Not the first but it was one of the first, and when I got it back when I was a kid, I listened to it a lot. And of course, Shrek nowadays, iconic in its own special way. Changed the way that family movies are done, and a lot of movies really tried to turn that fairy tale trope on its head thing, also tried parodying a lot of movie moments, but I don't think any other movie did it quite as well as Shrek. In fact, I'd say one of the best moments in all of Shrek was when they decided to pay homage slash make fun of the Matrix. And by the way, the Matrix, that is another great example of a movie where the soundtrack just matched up perfectly. Throughout the 90s, there was a very specific type of movie soundtrack that you would see pop up every now and then. And this was mostly for sci-fi movies or action movies that kind of had more of a sci-fi edge or even comic book adaptations at the time. Think of movies like Spawn, The Crow, Judgment Night, movies like that. All of which featured alt-rock or heavy metal bands teaming up with electronic producers or rappers. These kind of soundtracks, they played a pretty big part in creating new Metal that decade, but the main point was mostly to drive home the fact that whatever movie you were seeing was futuristic, edgy, and dark, while also still having a very diverse sound to it as well. And I think The Matrix has a perfect example of that type of soundtrack, which not only showcased the music that was featured right in the film itself, but also just had some extra songs that I think both really continued the aesthetic that The Matrix was trying to go for, and also I think maybe showcase some of the songs that uh, the Wachowskis just really enjoyed. And especially if you're a fan or just trying to get into industrial music, The Matrix soundtrack's really a great place to start because you had a whole bunch of really great industrial bands and artists, including Marilyn Manson. You had Ministry, Meat Beat Manifesto on there as well, including a very hard-to-find Rob Zombie remix. Eventually, it would get re-released on one of Rob Zombie's remix albums, but for a while, it was the only place that you could find Charlie Klauser from Nine Inch Nails remixing Dracula. Also included Deftones and Ramstein on there with Du Hast, probably their most well-known single, and I think The Matrix really played a big part in making that song as big as it was. And at the end, you had some Rage Against the Machine on there as well. Always a must for any kind of remotely politically motivated movie. Again, it is just a fantastic soundtrack. Even if it does sound, I'll admit, a little bit dated nowadays. But it still matches the movie perfectly. It still matches the attitude that fans of that movie would have had at the time. And I think it's a really good snapshot of what music was like. More on the extreme end around the late 90s and early 2000s as well. Plus, this soundtrack established a lot of connections in the rock music community. Uh, For example, the Matrix soundtrack was the first time that you would see Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie working on the same project, even if they weren't in the same studio. And Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson very hugely intertwined in the music industry, even today. They have toured together back in 2019, but they also had a lot in common, not just with music, but also Rob Zombie has shared bandmates with Marilyn Manson. In fact, two of Rob Zombie's current bandmates, guitarist John 5 and drummer Gingerfish, they first got their start while working with Marilyn Manson in his band. And not only that, but former Marilyn Manson guitarist Tyler Bates also worked with Rob Zombie on doing the Halloween remix. He did all the music for those. In fact, Tyler Bates' main gig is scoring some of the biggest movies of the last 20 years and composing the music for them, including 300 Deadpool 2, all the John Wick movies, and Guardians of the Galaxy. And of course, while the instrumental score for Guardians of the Galaxy was fantastic, really the part that everyone knows right off the bat is the great soundtrack that came with Guardians of the Galaxy. Awesome Mix Volume 1. Every single not only used in the film, but also this soundtrack kind of breaks the fourth wall. It was listened to by the characters at the same time we were listening to it. And the soundtrack is, of course, a key part of the story of Guardians of the Galaxy with Peter Quill getting a mixtape with all these songs at the start of the movie, still keeping him connected to his humanity, reminding him of his past, of his time back on Earth and with his mom, and every song on here. Just perfect. And laid out perfectly. And you could really tell that this soundtrack resonated with people as well, because it shot up right to the top of the charts. And it was the first soundtrack that was all previously released music to top the chart. It was also the second best-selling soundtrack in the US, even though more people probably recognize it, Frozen still sold more copies of its soundtrack, but still, did really great. It was also the third best-selling vinyl album of the past 10 years, but if you really wanted the most authentic, awesome mix volume one experience, you could also find it on cassette. And it was released for a Record Store Day event back in 2014, but you can still find this cassette in a few places if you know where to look. The real question that I have about Awesome Mix Volume 1 that I'm hoping to kind of work out during this episode of The Tim Gavin Show, is it the nostalgia that the soundtrack brings, or is it just because these songs are just so good on their own? So I have a little bit of help this week to answer that question. All right, so if we're really going to talk about a soundtrack that is full of nostalgia, I kinda wanna talk to one of my friends who I'd say is an expert on it. Scott Mitchell, how you doing? Oh, not bad, yourself? (sighs) Doing pretty good. I'm having so much fun looking back at all these soundtracks and Guardians of the Galaxy. I watched it again last night. And even though when I first saw the track list for the soundtrack, I I originally thought that it kind of leaned a little too hard on being nostalgic, but honestly,
2: the songs just work so well. And I think we're starting to see a lot of those, uh, a lot of the nostalgia come into play when it comes to soundtracks and it, it's been going on for a few years. I shouldn't say we're starting. It's been going on for quite a while uh, where the, the, the producers, they are leaning heavily on songs that are coming from the seventies and eighties. And it's not just movies either. It's TV shows. And uh, I think one of the, biggest production teams that uses this is anybody who does shows for Netflix. Um, Stranger things leans heavily on the eighties Riverdale, There's stuff from the seventies and eighties out of and whatnot. And it's no different when it comes to actually both the guardians of the galaxy for volume one and volume two.
0: Yeah. And, but I, I find it interesting. Like the, the last year that Peter Quill remembers from earth is Back in 1988, and most of the songs, like I think the the youngest quote unquote youngest song on the soundtrack is from 1979.
2: Yeah, uh, just looking through it, yeah, it's leaning very heavily 70s. That's for sure. Even a little bit of 60s in there. When you look at um, like Five Stair Steps, for example, uh, with Ooh Child. Um, You also got Alvin Bishop pulled around and fell in love in there. Um, Blue Suede's hooked on a feeling. if raspberries go all the way yeah there's there's a lot of the 60s 70s feel to it in this
0: and some moments from the soundtrack i think they did translate a little bit better in the film like some it's like a really good use of the song but say moon age daydream from david bowie i found that a little bit too much in the background for the scene that it was used i was kind of hoping that it would be used a little more prominently but hooked on a feeling i thought the placement for that just perfect
2: and even um in that just thinking back to the movie um rupert holmes escape was used quite well within that movie yeah
0: absolutely
2: and then you even look at i i'm just pulling open volume two for guardians of the galaxy and that's where you're still seeing quite a bit of the 70s in that too um you know, ELO is Mr. Blue Sky, Sweet Fox on the Run, Fleetwood Mac, The Chain, George Harrison, My Sweet Lord, Looking Glass, Brandy, just to name a few, Cheap Trick Surrender as well. Like, um, it's definitely quite, um, uh, quite back to the 70s. That's for sure. No doubt about it. And it is playing off people's nostalgia. They hear that and they instantly recognize the song. And maybe uh, it, they forgot about it for that matter. Like, I had to. I got reminded of Redbone's "Come and Get Your Love" from this soundtrack.
0: That was actually the first time that I heard that song too, and I think that's probably a lot of the uh, the case for a lot of people. Like, there are quite a few artists I think that were good, didn't get enough spotlight then, but I'm so glad to see them get their due now. Like, especially Redbone, and I'd say even Ten CC. Like, I hardly hear anyone talk about them, but. Then people start hearing I'm Not in Love. Then eventually they'll start looking through the rest of their back catalog, see a lot of
2: stuff in there that they really like. Uh, I'm Not in Love was a big song for 10cc, though. So, I mean, um, it it still holds out. But at the same time, I totally get what you're saying. There is also this new generation who has never heard some of these songs before, probably. And um, even there, you look at who's going to watch. This, who you know, maybe they're they be in their early teens for that matter, their parents are maybe in their late 30s, early 40s, and even their parents weren't born in the 70s. Um, another, I, I just deviating from this just quickly here. Um, another one that was really good for using like the 80s and even into the 90s was Deadpool. Uh, it, it, of course, prominently featured was Careless Whisper from George Michael,
0: and don't forget Salt and Pepper.
2: Yes. Shoop. Yeah. Uh, And, and Juice Newton, Angel of the Morning as well.
0: Yeah. It's like these, these movies, they just use these songs so perfectly. And the more i the more I think about it, it's like, it's, it is definitely more than just a nostalgia thing. Like people are, are definitely choosing these songs just because like they work so well in that context.
2: And you've got literally thousands and thousands of songs to choose from. and. There's probably when they're creating these movies and they're in post-production and figuring out what, you, what to use is like an underscore or whatever, they might be watching the scene and sitting there and maybe going through a, a playlist on their phone or whatever. And all of a sudden they'll scroll by uh, a song and be like, that would be perfect to use here. You don't know, it's a case of we don't know what's going through their mind to make them pick those specific songs. But it's much like selecting music for a radio station. You want to try to find the perfect fit. Except I think it's a little harder for
0: movies too because even though you want to use the song, you can't always get the rights to that song too. Because like getting rights for, for movies when it comes to like getting music, it is a complicated process. And part of me also wonders, how many other songs did they have in mind for this movie?
2: Yeah, I mean, this, uh, this may have been their third or fourth choice. It might have been. But um, I totally see what you're saying. But w- when, you, it, yeah, when you look at it, um, it's still whatever they chose ended up working at the end of the day and good on them for that.
0: And of course, now this brings up another question. Which soundtrack do you think is better volume
2: one or volume two don't make me choose uh, <laughs> uh i think i would say volume one uh just because i feel like there's a lot more uh of the popular songs from the the 60s and 70s thrown into that one and uh i'm a big i'm big on nostalgia And I think if you play to people's nostalgia, that's gonna help you even better. Um, Looking at volume two, out of the 14 tracks, there's really maybe four or five that are uh, still played frequently today. Yeah. I'll admit the song, like the songs that,
0: like you mentioned, like Mr. Blue Sky, The Chain, My Sweet Lord, Surrender by Cheap Trick. I like those songs more than everything on Volume 1, but I will admit that Volume 1 is the better soundtrack just because it has more of those great classic hits and it uses them better in the, in the context of the movie.
2: And you want those hits. If you're going to uh, pick anything to play in, uh, in your movie, you want a big hit. You don't want a song people don't know. And another thing that I think really sets the soundtrack apart
0: compared to other movie soundtracks, is just how like fourth wall breaking Awesome Mix Volume 1 is because it's practically a character in the movies. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Yeah, right down to the fact that in real life you can actually get a cassette copy of Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mix Volume 1 and it looks exactly like it does in the movie.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, Even like the uh, cover art for it. Yeah, is is the cassette in a cassette player for the CD version?
0: Yeah, and I really think that even like it, it single handedly brought cassettes back for a hot minute too.
2: I think we're going, uh, we're we're constantly going through a shift too in the way people are getting their music. I know there's spotify and google play and apple music and everybody's pretty much using that but then the the people who still want the physical copies it seems like we're going through this constant cycle and i'm sure cassettes will be coming back at some point because records have
0: yeah i just really hope that cds never truly go away because I, I i keep seeing a lot of like anti-compact disc, disc sentiment but they're still my format of choice that's fair And like, I love vinyl, but for CDs, like they're
2: still more affordable
0: and the audio quality I'd say is just as good as vinyl.
2: Whatever happens though, if cassettes come back, can we have it done somewhat a little bit differently? Maybe still have it look like a cassette, but almost be kind of half digital as well. Because let's be honest, having to wind those damn things back up when they become unwound is hell. It is. Like, it's, if, it, it, it's fun, but it's also
0: hell. <laughs> yeah, what, the, what they need to do is they need to make, like, a, a cassette that goes in a loop. Yes. Yeah, and maybe makes the sound quality a little bit better, because not all cassette tapes are created equal, and a lot of the, the newer cassette tapes that you're seeing, it is a lot of that leftover, super-duper low-quality tape that they're using, instead of, like, They're really, like, primo stuff. Doing this week's episode of The Tim Gavin Show has really made me fall back in love with movie soundtracks, so I'm gonna have to revisit those, maybe do some more discussions well into the future, maybe even talk about movie scores. Really, it's just so much fun looking back at all this stuff and finding these connections, and I'm glad you're joining me on the ride and we can make these connections and explore them together. Next week, we got some more fun stuff going on, going to look at some more albums, look at some more pop culture history, and keep these explorations going. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, to like, to post a review on iTunes, but thanks for listening to The Tim Gavin Show, and we'll talk to you again next week.